Hey, listener, Zach Harper here. Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. Also, fastest growing fantasy app in the industry. Here's how it works. The Pick'em Game. Pick whether your favorite players will have a higher or lower stat total in this week's game for a chance to win big. How big, you ask? I'm so glad you asked that question, listener. You can win up to 100 times your money in a single night. Pick between two and five players. Build a pick'em entry. You can also do rivals picks. You can put like Tyrese Halliburton and Jalen Brunson against each other. And whoever has more points, more assists, more rebounds, whatever you want to do, that is your rivals pick. I would maybe go with Jalen Brunson in these playoffs. By the way, in the regular season, Jalen Brunson scoring tear, going higher on his point totals all the time. Joel Embiid, whenever he did actually play, higher on his scoring totals all the time. Victor Wembanyama for the next 15, 20 years. Here's a pro tip for you. Take higher on the blocks. That's right. So you're probably wondering, how do you sign up? Oh my God, listener, you are full of good questions today. Sign up with the promo code DING, that's D-I-N-G, to claim your special pick First time deposit offer up to $250 in bonus cash. $250, man, that's a lot. Visit underdogfantasy.com or find them in the app store. And don't forget to register with our code DING, D-I-N-G, to claim your special pick and first time deposit offer up to $250 in bonus cash. Must be 18 or older, 21 or older in Massachusetts, Arizona, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, and present in a state where Underdog Fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org. Arizona, 1-800-NEXT-STEP. That's 1-800-639-8783. Or text next step. To five three three four two New York, call the twenty four seven Hope Line at one eight seven seven eight Hope and Y or text Hope and Y four six seven three six nine. Welcome to Woke Bros. We're back. It's twenty twenty. I'm Michael Shabazz, Aziz Jamal, Akbar X Brooks, along with my. Comrade, compadre, and friends, big Waz, Wazni Lambre, whoa, whoa, the Haitian sensation, the Haitian irritation. Waz, happy 2020. Yo, man, happy new year, my brother. So happy to be back on Wobros. I feel like it's been forever and a day since we recorded between holidays and travel and all of that stuff. So I'm happy to be back, man. Yeah, me too. It's been way too long. Of course, we've got the genius, the the call maker, Rob Lopez, producing it. Uh, and we've got our fellow woke bro and sometimes third Mike on this on the show joining us, the very esteemed Nando Vila returning. Nando, how are you doing? I'm doing great. You know, it's a, it's, it's great to do the show with both the woke bros. Last time it was just you. And I feel like, you know, we were missing, we're missing a little something. Yes, yes, yes. Now it's the three woke skateers. <laughs> <laughs> every yeah. time, every time I'm doing something without wise, I always feel like I'm missing something. So I, <laughs> I get it. Um, all right. So we've got a lot to hit. Uh, I don't know how much logistics we've got up front. Um, February 7th, Michael Brooks show at the bell house, snag your ticket. Um, I know there's a count the dings coming up at the bell house too. Uh, so, and with, with a woke bros appearance, so snag a ticket for that. And we'll talk about the rest of that at the end of the show, but let's start, uh, you know, there was so much that we haven't done had a show in a couple of weeks, but the biggest thing that's been happening, obviously in the last several days is the escalation with Iran. It, it began with the assassination of uh, general Soleimani of the Quds force in Iran. 
uh, the, I could not really think of a close analogy. Maybe it would be like a foreign power assassinating President Eisenhower right after World War II. Um, I mean, like right. incredibly popular, important. Well, like Colin Powell. Colin Powell. Before yeah. 9-11. Right, like, but Colin Powell, while he was working, it was not even close. Though Colin Powell doesn't even compare. I, I feel like Eisenhower is a more apt because he, you know, he was a genuine hero in a sort of existential fight. You know, Colin Powell was like a nice soldier, but like it or wasn't like, like Patton. Yeah, even more, <laughs> no, even no, more right. than Patton. You know, I mean, maybe MacArthur. Uh, but Eisenhower <laughs> is probably the best. Yeah. You know, I can't wait. I cannot wait for an Iranian election with a Trump figure just being like, I'm going to find my Soleimani and we're going <laughs> to we're going to kill so many Saudi troops. It'll make you bad spin. <laughs> All right. Um, basically, Iran uh, did a incredibly proportionate response, um, one that was so proportionate that I've read some reporting that there might be uh, have been some back channels even between the United States and Iran uh, before it happens, which I think is plausible. But, you know, big picture, um, whatever else you think of the Iranian government, and there's many legitimate things to criticize it for. Uh, the United States has in the long arc of history mostly and uh, absolutely since Trump took office, uh, you know, but going back to 1953 coup against Mossadegh, which people should look up. But just in this shorter time frame, you had an agreement. Trump came into office. He tore it up, even though it was working, has waged uh, economic warfare against Iran and then assassinated one of the most important people in their country, again, setting aside all of their value judgments. So we want to hit on that. I mean, we want to get to this war exercise thing in a minute that's really interesting. But let me just get both of you initial reactions to this. Wise, what, what are your thoughts on this the last several days? You know, it's crazy because I live in L.A. now, which has a huge Iranian population. Right. Um, so, like, I feel like if I was still living in New York, I wouldn't feel as connected to it. There's just so many Iranian people here in the West Coast. Right. Like so many people who fled after, you know, the Shah got um, basically ousted in a coup. Like so many people who have who still have connections. I still I have friends who are connected to this. So, you know, my first thought is with the those people and 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 with their families and and all of that stuff and to be honest like it's not like I sit and think about like the military sort of hierarchy in Iran every day, right? So you you end up having to read different news outlets and learning what's happening and it's just like okay, this was just reckless. <laughs> like this wasn't like oh we're looking for some rogue dude. This is like. The, a rep, the representative of a sovereign government that we just straight up assassinated and th- pumped our chest and said, yeah, we did it. And, um, you know, I, immediately I, I, as I'm watching the news, I'm always interested in how these things get framed. And uh, it's like, oh, this guy was a general, but he's responsible for um, many U.S. deaths, like hundreds of U.S. soldiers. 
And the first thing that comes to my mind, Mike, when I hear that, I'm like, oh, shit, okay, like, this dude, like, carried out attacks or he did blah, 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 blah. Oh, no, they they developed some weapons in Iran, sold them to people that were fighting us in, in Iraq, and um, those, those weapons killed soldiers. I'm like, oh, you mean, like, how we're doing to the people in Yemen, how we did to the people in Iran when we were helping Saddam fuck them up during the Iran-Iraq war? I'm like, okay, so, like, this is just, like— Regular proxy war stuff, right? So you yeah. you understand it's like okay, like so why are we doing this? <laughs> you know, and 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 that's that was my initial thought. Like, why are we doing this? And then of course with with forty five, the answer is always just cause. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know? Soleimani was fit, that's why. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it's just like if 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 Donald Trump had to do Soleimani's fucking like just day. He would have a cardiac arrest. Imagine like Donald Trump walking up into some mountains to organize some militia. Like, and then that was we were the first people to have earth, wind, and fire at the Brigada. (laughs) 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 And yo, I do want to say something quickly, right? Um, Because if you talk to you know Iranians out here in America or Persians as they like to call themselves, I feel weird calling them Iranians because nobody out here calls them Iranians. They all they're all Persians, you know. But uh, like if you talk to the people. Out here, they'll be like, look, the regime is super repressive. Like the idea that this guy is some beloved war hero in Iraq. I mean, excuse me, in Iran, just because the regime is telling us so. And, you know, you're getting images out there, people mourning his death. Like you need to be taking that with a grain of salt, too. So obviously I'm not making a pushback. I'm not going to say that this dude has not done like I think, look, just like anybody. And this is another thing I want to get to later, like. Generals are generals, and this dude has definitely done some dirt for sure. Absolutely. I'm not claiming that at all. But they do real opinion polls in Iran, right? They don't uh, uh, poll the supreme leader because that's like uncouth. But they have had actual like – they've allowed even foreign polling companies and and academics. I think from the University of Maryland was the last one to poll in Iran, and this guy was like – hands down the most popular person they pulled like well, the it's, it's, there is real popularity there you know what i mean like this is not like north korean like go on the streets and we have no idea what people really think it's it's right. open and it's open enough iran is very complicated but it's definitely and you know i have plenty of i i know that community a little bit in la too but like uh, it's a little it's bit a like the Cubans in Miami. It's a little yeah, bit like the Cubans yeah. in Miami, you know, right? In, right. In that, <laughs> in that, the people that came over were, by definition, the people that um, were the expelled means. by the, or, or not just that, but like they were the, if not the ruling class, you know, the the sort of well-off class um, in the wake of the revolution, um, for the most part. So they're going to be understandably quite angry uh, at the revolution. And that's true in Cuba, as it's true in Iran, as it's true with sort of the the Venezuelan diaspora in Miami. It's mostly people who are, you know, have a grudge against the Mm. ruling authorities right now. So if you go around Miami and you ask Cubans and Venezuelans about Cuba and Venezuela, like you get a remarkably unified opinion um, which is that they're incredibly hostile to those regimes. Um, whereas if, if you go, if you actually go to those countries and talk to the people that stayed behind, um, they, they are not as low on the regime. So it's a similar dynamic with 
Iranians in LA, they're the ones that left in 1979. Um, they're the ones that stood a lot to lose from the revolution in 1979. So they're understandably quite angry. Um, so yeah. Yeah, no, I think that that, I mean, I think that that's really, and, and just like, not that I, I'm, it's a balance. Cause I think of course, when somebody is from a place, you have to give that a certain weight. But on the other hand, like, you know, especially talking about this stuff, you know, in, in some kind of public way, you get people to come at you all the time with like, well, I'm from Bolivia. Right. And it's like, well, you know what? Like I could, I don't know what to tell you. Like I know some guy with a red hat who thinks that, you know, Donald <laughs> Trump is deciding to expose an international child molestation ring. And that's why he <laughs> ran for president. And he's from America. Like right. there also just has to be analysis. And there's plenty of people that are from the places, whether it be the United States or Spain or Iran or Haiti that, you know, are biased or don't know shit. We shared that. Yeah, like Mike, we shared that New York Times article about how we have Iranian blood on our hands and someone tweeted at us was like, well, what do you think about this? And it was an op-ed in the Washington Post by an Iranian woman who is a host on something called Voice of America, which is literally the United States government's <laughs> propaganda media company, you know, like right. that they literally it's like it literally it's just the United States State Department funded thing in which they broadcast into enemy countries or official enemy countries, um, U.S. propaganda, usually from people from those countries, hosted by people from those countries. And it's like, well, yeah, of course, she's going to say that these are all all these uh, pro Soleimani uh, demonstrations in Iran are all fake or they're all people that are forced to go out there at gunpoint or whatever. Um but it doesn't mean it's true. Yeah. And I think um, anecdotally, you know, it's one of those funny things where your conception of Cubans, if you go to Miami, is one thing. And then, you know, like I watch baseball, like Contreras <laughs> is a Cuban defector or all this Chapman Cuban defect, like all the Cuban defectors are black guys, right? Like yeah. all the people that like yeah. weren't able to leave during the revolution are black. And then when they finally open up Cuban, like my home and I didn't personally go myself, but my homie went to Cuba and he's like, damn, like, yo, you wouldn't believe how many black people are in Cuba. <laughs> so it's interesting, right? Like that, that's why it's interesting what you say, um, Nando, because if your conception of Cubans and what quote unquote Cubans think of the revolution and the Castro regime or whatever, if you only talk to the people in Miami, meaning you only talk to the people who had the means and the wherewithal and the incentive, quite frankly, to leave is one thing than the actual Cubans who are still there and why they're still there and why they, you know, like it's it's mm -hmm. one of those interesting dichotomies. And of course, like, you know, and that, I just think this is a fascinating conversation because, you know, even <laughs> even in L.A., like uh, the, the association with um, Persians or the Persian Jews or the whatever is like these people have money. Right. Oh, yeah. Like these I people see them, have I see them in Beverly Hills. 
Yeah, yeah. and b- by the way, that's driving really, their Lamborghinis. <laughs> by the way, Nando, that's all you need to know. That's where they repatriated in yeah. the early '80s. <laughs> like Beverly Hills was already Beverly Hills by then, right? Oh yeah. Um, that tells you a lot about the 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 sort of Iranian that was able to get out of there. Because you got to think, like, how do you get to Jordan or wherever the hell you got to get to, or Turkey or wherever you got to get to to escape? Like that shit, you got to have means to cash. You got to have um access to all kinds of things to, you know, get the hell out of there. I just think, you know, that's, it's interesting that you brought that up because it's not something that people sort of think of when they're thinking about these geopolitical issues and, uh, you know, where the factions are and why they are where they are. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. So we wanted to follow up because there's another thing that's really, really important to think about um, on this Iran tip. And this is just back to like the, the the actual reality of how catastrophic it would be, you know, look, I mean, the United States is still the United States. I mean, even being able to do this and in some ways kind of suffer no consequences. I mean, there will be consequences, but, you know, the United States is obviously still this, you know, reckless hegemon. And then, you know, it's compounded by having this, you know, lunatic bloated fuck as president. But, if this actually continue, I mean, and we're in a situation where we are already kind of in a low intensity war with Iran, we wanted to talk about this thing. And Nanzo, I'll have you set it up, but we've all read about it. This exercise, this millennium exercise, where basically the U.S. Army, as people probably know, they do war games where they test out scenarios um, and, you know, see how a conflict might go. And they've done this, as you would imagine, a lot of times with Iran. And there's been some reporting on this, particularly in um, a war nerd podcast uh, with uh, Radio War Nerd with Warner. I think it's uh, Gary Becker and Mark Ames, a really good show. Uh, but the scenario, like basically Afghanistan and Iraq have been horrible for all concerns. And Iran would be at a whole other level of magnitude. Right, Nanzo? Yeah, it's 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 really fascinating when you look into it. I mean, you made the point that the United States military could not defeat the Taliban, which is a very ragtag group of guys in <laughs> caves with very low with very low rent weapons capability. The bad the news bears, then exactly. They were like they're like basically the Ewoks in Return of the Jedi. You know, like throwing spears and doing little traps and stuff. That would be um, really funny if the Ewoks were trying to cover up like like the Star Wars characters. And, yeah, absolutely. Three PO translated. They were just like. They say your God is a weak God and you should stop drinking. <laughs> you are an infidel, sir. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's basically, I mean, you know, George Lucas did do star Wars as an allegory for the United States. The and spoiler alert, the empire was the United States and the rebels were the Viet Cong, but that's another story. But in, in 2002, um, just as, as the United States was ramping up, uh, the war on terror all over the world, they were very gung-ho about trying out these different scenarios against different potential enemies. And in 2002, they did something called the Millennium Challenge, with at the, which at the time was the largest war game ever conducted. It cost a quarter of a billion dollars. And it basically pit the United States military against 
a regime that sounds a lot like Iran. And it was basically blue team versus red team. And they brought back this retired general, a guy named Van Riper, to lead the red team. And, you know, they, they, they set up all kinds of constraints on Van Riper, you know, to make it seem like there was a, you know, the, the, the Iranian military, you know, the, the blue team had much more technological capabilities and all that stuff. And basically what happened was that the blue team sent Van Riper a ultimatum to surrender within 24 hours. And Van Riper knew that the Bush administration had just launched this doctrine of preemptive war with Iraq. So he <laughs> did something called preemptive, preemptive war in which he launched a surprise attack on the blue team and sunk the entire Navy in the Persian Gulf within the first 24 hours, basically destroyed red team <laughs> because the Persian Gulf is a very difficult place for a place for a country like the United States to fight a war in. I mean, there's all kinds of vulnerabilities. Iran has all kinds of strategic advantages um, as a result. So a war with Iran would not just be a humanitarian catastrophe, which it would. I mean, we would kill tons of Iranians, like, you know, maybe even you know, hundreds of thousands of them. But at the end of the day, Iran would win. And like, there is just no doubt about that. Anyone who seriously looks at this. Um, and and so even they, if they didn't, yeah. Nando, you know why it doesn't matter and what's important for our listeners to understand is that unless the United States and its citizens decide we want to make Iran this place trillions of miles away from the mainland, the 51st state of the United States of America, we cannot win the war. Yeah. Because yeah. at some point we have to leave. And right. everybody there knows that. Like, yeah, that's why you kill can't everyone? win yeah. Iraq. That's why you can't win Afghanistan. That's why you can't win, quote unquote, um, Vietnam. Like, everybody understands implicitly at some point you're going to go back to the United States of America. Everybody knows this. Like you can take your little um, you can take the little land right now, set up your little proxy government, install some puppet leader, some puppeteer government. Everybody understands you can't maintain this shit forever. Like, you know, your president that started this war only has eight years at a max. And, and the guy Ho after Chi him Min, has eight years. Ho Chi Minh understood this perfectly well <laughs> you know like uh, when, when the when the Viet Cong were negotiating with american planners a, a, a surrender a peace uh, uh, agreement you know the american planners were like well you guys want to get this done by like christmas and they're like no all we got is time you know like we've been fighting for our independence for hundreds of years i mean you're here now before it was the french and before it was the chinese you know like we, we're not in we're not in any rush you know whereas the americans obviously had you know the ticking time bomb which was that eventually they get tired of fighting these wars. Um, so yeah, I mean, everyone knows that you can just basically outlast the United States military. I mean, they'll kill a bunch of your people, but eventually they have to leave. Well, yeah. Or pollute it. I mean, you know what general Mattis did in Fallujah with depleted uranium. You still have, you know, kids with birth defects, um, generations in Vietnam were damaged because of the napalm. But I mean, I think, you know, everything you guys are saying is obviously true. And that also just gets back to me about like how people are talking about this general specifically. And I and I've got like especially with like Hezbollah and some of this stuff, like I can get tempted to, you know, kind of like 
you know, some people on the left basically just whitewash whoever is opposed to the United States. And that's just their politics, basically. Like, if you're on the other side of the U.S., you're good. And that's, you know, obviously it's it's a simplification. It can definitely, you know, erase other people's serious, you know, misdeeds and so on. But what I think I want to kind of more emphasize, though, is is actually people being just like fucking adults. Yeah. And like so it's not that this man was like you know, secretly a great humanitarian. He was a general fighting proxy wars across the Middle East. That entails at certain points doing shit that actually all of us thought was really important, like beating ISIS. He's a major reason we beat ISIS. And there's no question that this dude, um, you know, has been involved in shit that I think people who generally claim to, you know, value human life or whatever would would have uh, criticisms and object to. But my point is this. I played this clip of uh, General Stanley McChrystal, um, I think from a BBC documentary talking about Soleimani like a year or two ago. And it's interesting because one part of it is I think actually just some guys in the military do have a certain um, – they, 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 again, because they actually do this shit for a living, they're actually like less melodramatic about this stuff. Then, I mean, not all of them. There's plenty of lunatics in the military, but there's some people that I feel like have this kind of like, you know, it isn't somebody who's never been near any of this writing about, oh, he was so evil in the Washington Post before they like, you know, stuff some food in their face, you know, like most of the <laughs> hawk class of Washington, you know what I mean? But like, Steve General McChrystal is like, well, I wouldn't think of him as an evil guy. I think of him as a patriot who loves his country, who's doing what he does because he believes in it. And I think part of partially that's probably, you know, that mindset helps him be a better strategist and tactician. But I think it's also the self-awareness on some level that it's like we're the same dude. Yeah. Like, yes, everybody is doing this shit. Yes. And so if you want to actually say that it's wrong, then you can't be melodramatic, particularly not against a, at the end of the day, still a third world country fighting way above its weight, getting targeted by the world's greatest superpower and bully. You have to just say, OK, so all of this shit is wrong. So therefore, yeah. if we're going to apply that, then. You know, General Mattis maybe should be at the International Criminal Court or maybe even if we're just going to kind of wash our hands and say the past is the past. We at the very least have to stop all of these policies. Yeah. And like, you know, for our listeners, it's like just imagine there was some type of government, which there isn't because they're being bombed in the splitterines, but in Yemen. Right. And that government decided, all right, we got a shot at some important U.S. military figure or whoever it is that decided it was OK to help the Saudis give them, you know, uh, Supply them with the freaking planes they're flying, supply them with the freaking coordinate technology, basically give them the means to bomb Yemen into smithereens. And some guy in Yemen said, all right, it's 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 cool if we got a shot to kill some U.S. Um, foreign policy maker uh, if we if we get the chance to. And you basically say, well, these people have committed terrorist acts. Like those planes bomb schools, they bomb hospitals, they bomb just regular places where normal people are living. And the U.S. Um, supplies the means and the capability to do that. Like you would be like, wait, no, no, that's the Saudis doing that. And like nobody would accept that justification. 
So when when people go, oh, the Suleimani guy, he killed Americans. It's like, I mean, if that's the if that's the criteria for what it means to kill somebody, then I mean, like there's countless countries that have a freaking beef with us, period. There's no well, that's also two ways just, about that's, it. That's also just so fucking like and I want to be I, I'll just say this real quick. I know you got to jump in, Nando, but like mm. what like when people hear that and this is why the lie is so destructive, they think like. I think they think like something like ISIS or Al Qaeda, like, okay, they put in, you know, they go and murder people at a synagogue. They plant a bomb at a tourist destination. I don't want any, I don't want U.S. soldiers or Iranian or Iraqi soldiers to be harmed. That's just, I'm not interested in that. And I know people who served in the U.S. armed forces, right? What the, the, the fight supposedly where he was quote unquote killing Americans was because the United States was threatening Iran from a forward position in Iraq and they were in a proxy war. What like what do you think the people on the US side were doing? They were they were over there like with super soakers <laughs> and then Soleimani was like, whoa, not super soakers. I'm gonna kill you because I'm an evil Iranian general. It's fucking embarrassing. Yeah, I mean if if Russia invaded Canada and there was some sort of Canadian insurrection to fight the Russian occupation, we would we would absolutely um be supporting those Canadian insurrectionists against the occupying Russian power. I mean, it's, it's like, I mean, if you think about it in those terms, it becomes like eminently reasonable what the Iranians did in Iraq. Right. Because what, what's frustrating about often talking about these foreign affairs in America is that Americans are so obsessed with categorizing people as good or bad. Yes. Right. It's like, is this good? But like, no, they ask you like, no, but is, was he good or was he bad? And it's like, well, it's, I, I mean, who, I don't know. You know, like they don't do the, an analysis of power, right? Like that's really right. what, what, what's important is who has more power and who has less, you know? And, and, and how does that person or how does that structure use that power and for what, you know? And at the end of the day, we're the people who have the most power and we live here and we talk about things that we can affect here. Right. So, I mean, that's why it's, it's always a, upon us to focus on what we do, our actions. I mean, yes, I mean, I can get red in the face condemning, you know, Putin's crackdown of uh, religious minorities and or, you know, Xi Jinping's crackdown of the U- of the Uyghurs. Of course, condemn. I can I condemn that. I condemn that all I want, you know, but that the effect that that can have in those countries is, is, is frankly minimal, um, whereas there's so much that we can do if we have, if we change even the, the perception of people in the United States, even a little bit away from this kind of almost like lazy acceptance of the logic of empire, you know, like if, if people just start questioning that even a little bit, the effects on the world can be almost impossible to imagine. You know, because most people just kind of accepted that logic that was beaten into us since we were kids that, you know, the United States is the policeman of the world. And like we're just, you know, altruistically um, putting out fires, altruistically putting out fires. I mean, but that's what people believe here. Right. If we do something in the world, if we if we send cruise missiles to uh, Somalia, it's because there's some bad people there that we have to take care of, you know, and and it's it's not necessarily uh, I don't think people here feel under threat by any uh, by any of those things. I think they just feel like we have to be the policemen of the world. And that's like a very 90s thing. But that but that very much has seeped into the consciousness of most Americans. And if you can just 
crack a little bit, put, put, put some cracks into that logic, then I think, you know, it's, it's almost unimaginable the, the, the good that can happen in the world. And there's a couple more things that uh, I, I think that it's important for people to understand, right? Um, it, it, like, Iran is not some natural ally, I mean, excuse me, enemy of ours, right? Uh, like, say, Russia or China, China specifically, where it's like, economically, they could, they could do some damage to us militarily. Like, they're in a worthy foe. And you can understand why our interests might not might not align with a country like China who actually, you know, like we can't push those guys around. It makes sense. Like there's no real reason for the United States to be adversarial towards the government of Iran, except for one, uh, you know, amongst those hawkish people in DC, a lot of, and that's the thing about the DC bureaucracy is like, these guys have been around for 40, 30 years, right? Like a lot of those guys in those jobs, especially in the military industrial complex, like these guys have been around forever. And I've said this on the show before, there's a sense that like, they never paid for what they did to the Shah. They (laughs) ousted our fucking guy in their little revolution and we never paid those motherfuckers back um and that's why that shit is that's part of the reason why they're always coming up like just that's it it's not like oh well, we need to be in a war with them it's like yo we never got them back for 1979 that's well, a one and two sorry Mike, I'm about no, I know, and, and and I'm about to finish. That's a one, and you know the 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 dick sucking that we do with Israel and the Saudis. <laughs> and that's just what it is. I'm I've sorry, never that's heard what it is. I've never heard the dick sucking that. that we do with Israel and the Saudis, and those people have natural. Um, I like that. I like. It's like I like the uh, I like the enthusiasm, but so much so much friction. He <laughs> 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 could really use to improve his technique. <laughs> Maybe United call me States back when you get your braces ready off. to go down, but my God, a little technique wouldn't hurt you. <laughs> I appreciate you trying to fix your teeth, but maybe take the braces off, take the retainer off. <laughs> I couldn't look them in the eye because they were being so enthusiastic, but the U.S. always keeps the retainer in. <laughs> But you guys understand what I'm talking about. Like, you can't understate the influence of, you know, the Israeli regime and the Saudis. Like, our current government is obsessed with them, man. Of course not. And everybody should remember that this specific occasion, General Soleimani, who has definitely done, like, you know, covert battlefield operations, whatever, he flew to Iraq on a commercial flight carrying yeah. his official passport. There's nothing clandestine about it. And the reason he was there, according to Iraqi officials, and I have no reason to not believe them in this instance, is because there was going to be could start to be some type of back channel to the Saudis because the, these monstrous, you know, Gulf governments had decided actually like, well, I guess – Trump isn't going to have a war in Iran. We might need to figure something else out. So, I mean, all of that is is important. But Nando, what were you going to say? Uh, no, well, I mean, it's just the. I think it's important to remember, like, it's not just. Uh, well, I mean, what you mentioned about him flying a commercial flight, as everyone knows, um, 
mass terrorists that are about to do an attack on America just travel uh, around the world out in the open. That's usually how that works. Um, it just makes no makes no sense that people actually believe that he was planning an imminent attack on on the United States. I mean, it's crazy, but. You know, it's it's you you mentioned that they're that they haven't forgiven them for <laughs> ousting the Shah. It's not it's not it's not even just that. It's just that they oust the Shah. Then the the operation to rescue the hostages went totally belly up. And then uh, they bombed the Marine barracks in Lebanon in 1981, killing 300 Marines. I mean, it's just like one right after the other. Like you know, the United States feels or at least the, the United States policymakers who yes. like, actually care about this kind of thing feel humiliated by that. They never got them back. Never got them back. Never got them back. And like you said, uh, Mike, like, you know, often, often the actual kind of generals are a mollifying force on politicians and career civil servants, like yeah. the sort of dead-eyed psychopaths at the Atlantic Council and, um, you know, the State Department and whatever. Like, these people are often the most bloodthirsty, violent people, or even people in the media, people like Eli Lake, you know, just right. thirsting exactly. for, for blood. You know, often these people are really the ones that are pushing the logic of empire. Um, whereas it's the, it's the generals are often with, with obviously exceptions, but they're often a mollifying force on those people. Yeah. And I, and I think that, yeah, there's just something important to note, not that, I mean, look, obviously the Pentagon, sucks up its massive budget. I mean, we're not in any way minimizing the power or destructiveness of the Pentagon, but there is like, you know, that General McChrystal can have that amount of self-awareness to say that. And a lot of the other ones don't. Certainly the generals around Trump are, you know, now are, you know, uh, uh, carrying this forward in an incredibly dishonest way. But and I'm, and I'm not in any way trying to clean up the Pentagon's image, but just the contrast, yeah, between a McChrystal and Eli Lake, man, that's a perfect <laughs> example. Just some guy who's just like, we need to be more hawkish. <laughs> fucking yeah. disgusting and embarrassing. Um, Guys, what else? Uh, obviously, it's almost like we're just kind of catching up from behind because so much happens. Um, but uh is there anything – I mean there's a couple of other things maybe we wanted to uh, uh, touch on. Uh, Waz, you want to talk about the Pope and Joe Biden? Uh, it's just he, – he's just a funny guy to me. Like <laughs> he's – he's <laughs> underrated part of his appeal. <laughs> like Trump. Trump's totally. Biden's pretty funny. You know? <laughs> you know, so Pope Francis, of course, is – because he's the Pope and he's a fairly liberal Pope, as liberal as, you know, you can be at being the head of an institution that tells Africans in the midst of an AIDS crisis not to use condoms because it's a sin from God. <laughs> um, you know, he's the head of that that same institution, but he's, you know, he's going on a campaign where he's like, look, governments need to guarantee help guarantee health care for all its citizens. Right. Like it shouldn't be a privilege. It shouldn't be a luxury to have quality health care. Like if people get sick, you know, they should be cared for uh, like that's, you know. I think that's what Jesus would want us to do, right? Like we can, we claim to be a Christian nation or whatever. And of course, Joe Biden with his lack of self-awareness and, you know, Joe Biden, who his idea for health care, y'all, is the status quo, which under the status quo, guys, everybody does not have health care or access to quality health care. Um, that's Joe Biden's plan. It's like, no, let's just 
keep it the way it is. <laughs> Let's not make it worse. Like the Republicans and people like the the uh, Paul Ryan, former Speaker of the House, and Mitch McConnell would want to take everything away and have people just dying on the streets. We don't want to do that, but. Let's just keep it the way it is. It's great the way it is, even though it sucks. And so he, he he tweets an article of the Pope, and he's like, quote, Pope Francis is absolutely right. As a nation, <laughs> we, as a nation, we have a moral obligation to ensure everyone has access to the care they need. Healthcare is a right for all, not a privilege for the few. End quote. I just thought Joe Biden is just fucking gutless. That's that's all I wanted to say. Like, um, we know who the candidate is that actually wants to fulfill this vision, right? The Pope's vision of everybody having quality health care, everybody being able to go to the doctor and fix something and not go bankrupt or go completely broke behind it. Uh, it's Bernie Sanders, right? And even Elizabeth Warren to a lesser extent. But it's Bernie Sanders who who is that candidate. It's just hilarious that Joe Biden thinks he could come in and piggyback on that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, we were joking before the show that that's just Biden stealing Irish valor once again, pretending to be an Irishman. Uh, but, it, you know, it, the, the key word of that tweet is access. I mean, that's the one whenever you hear a Democratic politician talk about access to care, you got to have your... Uh, spidey senses tingling. Could you explain to because, the people what, what, why, well, why you say that? Well, because because access to healthcare is, is meaningless. You know, it, it's it really is. It, you know, we all have access to healthcare right now. I mean, everyone has access to it. You can walk up to a hospital and they'll care for you. Um, the problem is cost. Who's paying for it? And whether you're guaranteeing healthcare as a right. You know, in which you then w- once you guarantee healthcare to all your people as a right, then so much other things flow from that downstream, whereas access is completely meaningless. I mean, we all have access to buying a Ferrari right now. We yeah. could, you know, but we just, we just can't right now because we don't have the money, but we have the access to, in theory, we could, you know, that's, but we're not guaranteed a Ferrari as a right. If we were, then we would have one, you know, that's why you have to talk about the, the you have to watch that language and how politicians talk about that very carefully. And access is just one of those buzzwords that was, must've been, must've been drawn up in some center for American progress, study or something because you see all the all the squishy democrats are always talking about access to health care that's just not that's just not enough absolutely so um what when you hear somebody say access like that you should figuratively smack their hand away just like the pope did to that <laughs> old lady spectacular videos to start the year yo by the way just for the record i felt the pope in that moment like yo bro why are you grabbing me like what's up with you dude pretty hard too he grabbed grabbed him pretty hard he's an old man (laughs) she she made him lose his balance yeah he's 80 something years old like Like, even the infallible has a hip man fuck you I thought, you know, like I, I, when I see old men like that, I feel like if I pulled on them that hard, like their arm would fall out of their socket. Come on you know? now. Like, <laughs> and those are replacement hips. Right. Oh, Jesus. Right. This guy is out here. He's, he's, a, he's the, but the then lone he, voice. He didn't just like, yank his arm, but he spanked her like, yeah. like she was a kid. Like, what the hell? Don't touch that. You, you touch it, you pay for it. <laughs> That's what your mom used to do in the supermarket when you would try to grab them Pop-Tarts. Just smack your hand like, yo, boy, you ain't paying for that. That is why it was so charming, too, is it really did remind you of like it was because in a in a 
in a weird way, she got what she wanted, which was just like she got, you know, even if it was negative attention, like the Pope gave like, you know, he's doing his slide, touch the hands, give you a beautiful smile, keep it moving. And then she wrenched him and he was just like, get the fuck out of, you know, but (laughs) she's going to have that memory for her whole life. That would be, I love that. (laughs) It's like, I remember actually one time I read it, an interview with the Dalai Lama and, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't as bad, but he basically, he told the guy who was interviewing him, like, you should probably eat more vegetables or something. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, has like a great memory, like a holy man smacks you. Um, I guess actually just I don't know if you guys wanted to real quick. Um, Rob is a huge Ricky Gervais fan. And, I love Gervais. And it would mean a lot to him. I mean, no, I'm, I'm just playing. But what this was his last Golden Globes thing. I, I haven't. I honestly I, I got years ago. He offended a bunch of people, maybe. And now it's like a shtick that, you know, oh, like, yeah, Ricky's going to come every year. But um I don't know. Maybe this year was a little bit more different. Maybe there actually was a little bit of sting to it. Uh, what do you guys think? No, it wasn't. It's just I, th- the thing I like about Gervais is that he's mean it, and he's not afraid to be mean to people, the people in the country whose asses are kissed more than literally anybody. Like these people only have their asses kissed all day, every single day of their lives. It's OK if they sit through 12 minutes of a guy giving them shit. Like, it's not that I don't understand why people are like, Oh, I don't like the mean spiritedness of it. It's so namby pamby and annoying, but you know, he told some good jokes. He was like, once upon a time in Hollywood was so long by the end of the movie, Leo's girlfriend was too old for him. You know, <laughs> like he tells, like he's telling it real, you know, like, and, and he just makes jokes about the caricatures and just the over the topness of, uh, you know, just the nature of Hollywood and, and the culture. It's, it's all it is. It's, I personally love it. Like, I know people don't like to be made uncomfortable and Tom Hanks is making faces and all of that shit, but I, I thought he was fantastic. <laughs> Not you know, I, I find, uh, you know, Gervais's shtick about like the, you know, the whole, uh, Richard Dawkins, like new atheist thing is like super annoying. And, you know, he's yeah. notoriously, so he's notoriously thin skinned on Twitter in which he like name searches his own name and then blocks people who, who, talk shit about him, which is like the <laughs> lamest move you could ever do. But I will say like the, his, his monologue I thought was pretty tight. I mean, cause he also kept it pretty short. Um, and the jokes I thought were pretty tight. I mean, the, the Epstein joke landed for me. The Weinstein oh, joke landed joke for me. Really good. Yeah. The Weinstein joke landed for me. You yep. know, he, at the end of the day, I mean, let's be honest, like the liberalism of Hollywood is like one of some of the most full of shit liberalism there is. It's nonsense, right? Like, you know, like they go around as like these bleeding heart libs for the most part. And, you know, all it is is don't say bad things about gay people. Right. You know, don't treat black people fair. Just don't say nigger. (laughs) You know, like that's the, that's their liberalism. Like that's, that's that's all that's the extent to it. You know, like there's people who, you know, are 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 living it for sure. Like I don't think George Clooney's like some lip service liberal, but like, you know, his parents are like journalists and shit. Like he had to actually learn about stuff in the world, like growing up and all of that. Like I, for the most part, these people are just, you know, yeah. fucking clueless. Give me a break, bro. No, we we this this, this week we welcome Mark Ruffalo and basically Yeah, Mark Ruffalo's else. great. No, and I'm yeah. this this week we welcomed yeah. uh, Emily 
Ratajkowski to oh. the family. Whoa, what happened? Uh, she, what happened with she, she endorsed. She endorsed Bernie. Bernie. Oh! Uh, I did a video. I did a video that was tweeted by Bernie's amazing. It's like, thank you, Emily Ratajkowski, yeah, for your support. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, I support Bernie because, like, eh, you know, I just want to get healthcare for all these people. You know, like, and it's like, great. Yeah, we we want you on our Fantastic. team. Fantastic. Yeah. Basic. Basic. Basic moral standards. Yeah. Lead yeah. you vote for Bernie, but I actually. I forgot who said this. I'm just going to go off on a tangent for a second because you made me think with the Bernie impression. The, the premise is not mine. I want to be really clear, but I forget who said it. Maybe it was just like on Twitter. But somebody was saying like how – because you know how like like people are like very easy on Elizabeth Warren. Like, you know, and I don't – people think I hate her. I don't hate her. That's crazy. But they're just like – there's a certain segment of particularly online people that think like – Basically, you're obligated to vote for her, and if you're not voting for her, you at the you know at the very least should never criticize her. Mm-hmm. And somebody was saying, like, you know, could you imagine if Bernie Sanders just went around for decades just like saying he was Chinese? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and like, and so yeah. we we did. It's not our premise, but just like thinking of that bit, like, <laughs> I remember like we used to go to the fish market. <laughs> Sundays, grandma had an opium problem and played mahjong. We were Chinese. (laughs) We were Chinese. (laughs) And everybody's just like, yeah, that's fine. It was weeks at a time on East Broadway. (laughs) Yes. It was ridiculous, (laughs) man. It's like no, it's a legitimate mistake. He, yeah, I, my contribution. I'm doing a cookbook. My uncle created General Powell's chicken. At least that's what I heard. (laughs) It's an old family revolution. He fought in the revolution against Chiang Kai Chek, and uh, that's where he made his name. That's where I got my uh, leftist bona fides uh, was through General Dao, who uh, <laughs> was on the long march with uh, combat. <laughs> I decided to go to the University of Chicago because Grandma Shin threw the I Ching sticks for me. Anyways, that's what they said. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Uh, 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 I wish I could remember who came up with that. The premise, but you know, Mike is ours. The premise is not. I but I can't remember. But it's interesting that you say it's not even interesting. It's just like it's important that you mention that, right? Like I'm somebody who always liked Warren because I think of her in the context of the Democratic Party, right? Um, it's like all right, there's you could have Warren or you could have fucking Chuck Schumer, you know? Like these are our options in the party, so I always liked her. Yeah. In that context, but like when you think about the race for the freaking presidency, like who would I rather have representing the party? Like, you know, to me, it's no contest at this point. And again, I will say, like, you know, I like her better than Mayor Pete. I like her better than Joe Biden. Obviously, yeah. Kamala Harris and Cory Booker and Tulsi Gabbard and all these other people like could kiss my ass. You know what I'm saying? But <laughs> yeah, if, right. if it's compared to Bernie, I don't I don't even see because well, a lot of the shit she's espousing is just Bernie light. Yeah. Well, but the the problem is the problem is the instincts in when push comes to shove in her quick reaction 
you know, her instinctual reaction to something like the Suleimani assassination, right? Oh, that got did wonder. you guys see, did you see, did you see her with, on the view with Megan McCain, like Megan McCain's like, well, you consider this person a terrorist. This person has killed hundreds of Americans. Is he a terrorist? Is he just a terrorist? And she's like, and then like, you know, Warren, like just immediately wilted and was like, of course he's a terrorist. And then went on and it's like, wait, wait, no, no, no. Calling someone a terrorist carries like a very significant both moral and legal connotation, you know, in terms of our ability to exert force on that person. So like if you if you concede the point, this like insane right wing point that a guy like Suleimani is a terrorist, then the United States is justified, quote unquote, in killing him. But if you don't concede that point, which Bernie has not then you don't concede the point that the murder of Suleimani was uh, was justified. And Under that's the ruthless intellectual inquisition of Megan McCain. Megan McCain. <laughs> yeah, so he's a terror- what, this guy who's killed like hundreds of Americans, you know, like, is he a terrorist? <laughs> like, it's like, you know, like if you can't, if you don't have the, the, the experience and that's what Bernie has, right? He's been in the game for so long and he's, he's, he's heard every single right wing, um, smear thrown at him. He's had it a million times. So he knows. Also, how he's, to he's, 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 it's not even just right wing responses. It's like the establishment of the democratic party. Oh, absolutely. He's been opposed to them. And their inclinations in their nature for decades. So he's already heard this shit from fellow Democrats, right? Like he's been voting against these types of things for decades already. So he he, he, intuitively, he's like, all right, I heard this shit already. This whole, I got to call this guy terrorist shit. Like, like it's stupid. It's silly. It's juvenile. It's, and Megan, Megan McCain, man. She's the best. She's the best. She's the best. She, she finally found she, she, is out, she is the most pure nepotism case in the history of the world. Oh and she finally finds something she's good at, which is like she's such an unbelievable. She's so genuinely stupid and such she a believes it. and she's such an asshole, but she believes it. That no, she is she's the, so she's the perfect heel, and she's so and she's a, and she thinks she's a victim. Yeah, it's oh amazing. She's the perfect heel. She's amazing. Yeah. She is, she is the wrestling villain that we never knew we needed. Um, and I just I, the only last thing I'll say about Warren, I just think also the other thing, and this actually really just also points to the other big frustration, which is like this very weird like kind of nerd bubble obsession with plans and all this nonsense. And I think the thing that really though comes across honestly is like, there's a couple of areas that she's got some pretty strong feelings and uh, policy sets about. And that's, you know, that's it, right? Like Mm -hmm. this is someone who's got some thoughts about wall street and banks, which is incredibly important. And of course, like she's, you know, she's a very smart person, so she can mug up on other stuff, but she doesn't have any comprehensive worldview. I mean, she doesn't even have like, she's, you know, she's willing, like she's, you know, she's willing to flip flop and equivocate on healthcare. And then on, you know, and then on foreign policy, she's terrible. I mean, it's just pure, pure, you know, she's never thought about foreign policy. And she's never thought a serious. And and that's been another thing that's been amazing. When you listen to people who, who always defend her, it's really interesting because there's this, on one hand, there's this like 
bizarre, like, man, nobody's written more blog posts than her, which were all those <laughs> plans were their medium posts. Like it's, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not that amazing. Like, look again, not because I'm belittling it. I'm just saying that like a lot of really smart people can get some smart people in the room and write something up. It doesn't mean much, but then on the other hand, you'll say, okay, all right, how about, you know, I actually have my criticisms of the medium posts and I like BD, uh, Bernie's medium posts better, but uh, for a variety of reasons, but all right, what about, you know, what about Iran? What about Brazil? What about, you know, all of these, oh, well, I just don't think she's ever really thought about that. Well, and it's like, problem. do you realize that that is not a defense? Like yeah. that's very bad that a seven year old person who's running for president has not thought about the area that the president has the most power over, but you yeah. know, whatever. And, and you mentioned uh, her lack of worldview. And I think to, you know, at least traditionally in American politics, that was seen as a plus, right? You, you know, politician in America could ever claim to be ideological or have a sort of coherent right. worldview. That was Americans recoiled from that. Um, but worldview and ideology is underrated. You know, uh, ideology is what allows you to interpret world events as they come at you, you know, and they happen very quickly these days. And what ideology lets you do is process them in a coherent way. So you see the thing like Iran, and if you have a worldview and an ideology, you can immediately sort of sort it in your mind in as a part of a pattern or whatever. And, it, and you can have whatever worldview it is, but you can immediately process those world events in, in a way that's, that, that is consistent and coherent. And if you don't have a worldview, these things happen and you're like, oh my God, I need to figure it out. And I need to like look at each individual case as an individual case and you'll go crazy. And that's why most people then eventually turn off from the news and stuff like that because they don't have an ability to process the news as it comes. And that's what ideology gives you. It's the tools to process events as they happen. Um, so, Yo, yeah. so this is, um, as you can see, I mean, well, I don't want to be awkward about this, but I think I know the answer to it. So why is that he passed the initiation? Oh, yeah. The best orgy of my life. I can't even <laughs> lie. Man. This, this is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Beautiful. Nazo Vila is here. We'll be back next week. Of Can you tell me about the second best orgy in your life off air? I mean, that involves Jamaica and some yeah. rosters for hire. It just gets Whoa. weird. I don't know what to say. Okay. All right. All right. Waz was really scared at first, but I coached him through it. All right. Um, <laughs> Rob, Rob, Rob Lopez at the ones and twos guiding us through everything. We've got the great Nonzo Vila. He's definitely going to be uh, cooking with us on the third mic here as the woke bros continues to grow and expand. It's a ton of fun. Um, Real quick, go to patreon.com slash TMBS, become a patron. Check out TMBS.fm where you can buy TMBS hoodies and shirts and all of that. Uh, and then grab your tickets to the February 7th live show at the Bell House in Brooklyn. We sold Philly out. We're on the same sales trajectory to sell this one out. So snag your uh, tickets quick. Yeah, and, and yeah, we got to talk about New York live at the Bell House in Brooklyn. Um, we haven't been back. We haven't been in New York since October of 2018, I believe. And so uh, it's been a long time coming. Uh, of course, the whole entire Count the Dings crew, as well as special guests, will be announcing them as they come. But this is going to be quite easily our most star-studded, jam-packed uh 
Count the Dings live show ever. Um, of course, Michael Brooks is going to be in the building. We plan on having a very special Woke Bro segment that day. Uh, just, just, just count on us having amazing guests and amazing time. New York is always our most ridiculous, raucous crowd. So I can't wait for March 28th in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, at the Bell House. What, is that Park Slope or Gowanus? I never even Gowanus. know. But yes, Gowanus. in Gowanus. Um, Gowanus. Uh, see you guys there. Get your tickets. Um, by the time you guys hear this, I don't know if it'll be Stop Being Patreon exclusive yet, but shit, man, you should be a Patreon anyway. Um, but to be, be on the lookout for those tickets. Uh, yeah, man, make sure you get there. Awesome. All right. Peace and love. See you guys next week.